0: as far as how I discover new companies, you know, it could be a random conversation I have. It could be, you know, I have an interest in a specific industry and I want to see who the players are. It could be, you know, I'm building my calendar for earnings season and I type in the wrong ticker and the company looks interesting. So I investigate them. I have a, so I have a bachelor's degree in bachelor's of science and economics. And I'd say I hardly use any of that for my investment process. So I rolled out the report mm. and the stock immediately shot up like 60 something, 60 or 70%. Like I thought I was a total oh, yeah. fucking idiot once I shot that <laughs> out. It's like, God, am I that bad?
1: I mean, you, all you have to do is point at that year when people say you can't trade off headlines because sometimes, sometimes you can.
0: <laughs> if, you, if, if you would have asked me that question about a year or two ago, I would have said we're nose diving into recession. But given these more recent developments, I'd say – and I'm not saying all advisors are bad. Don't get me wrong. Not all advisors are bad. I'm just saying the advisors are just going to put you into an index fund or leverage ETFs and mutual funds are probably just – diminishing your gains and returns through fees
1: welcome to the third episode of the nobel trading podcast i'm likely going to be doing some rebranding for the podcast soon if you have any ideas drop them in the comments down below maybe also like and subscribe to the channel but i'll talk about that more when we actually cross that bridge today i have special guest monty who has a background in institutional research and stock analysis he also is the writer of the peach pit substacker he does institutional level research retail investors he's also an author on seeking alpha as well where he also publishes some of the same research he has a specialization when it comes to value investing and he's one of the best gym training partners that you could ask for and yes that's right he works out with me pretty much once a week tortures me i should say when it comes to bodybuilding but today we're going to talk about finance his experience in the realm and also give an introduction to who he is because he's going to be my co-host for future podcasts and that I'm super pumped for. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and this introduction to who Monty is and be looking for him and future podcasts to come. How did you get into finance? Did it start school? Did it start after school? Was it just something you're interested in? Cause um, I've, known you, I've known you personally, I know you're just a self-driven person, but like, what led you down that path?
0: Yeah, so uh, I did not go down the traditional path like most people on the buy side. You know, they usually do a couple years invest in investment banking and then hop the fence to, to the buy side. But, you know, I studied economics at University of Houston, graduated back in 2016. Uh, at the time, I was working for my dad's staffing agency. You know, the whole plan was to take that firm over. And, you know, the bug just bit that. I had always known I wanted to work in finance. It just, you know, took a pause to see if that career developed before moving over. So uh, when was it? I believe it was 2019, I want to say, 2018, 2019. I think 2018, December 2018, I took CFA level one, passed it and I got my 365 license shortly after. I started working with my friend who ran an independent advisory practice and I was helping clients understand their portfolio holdings, why they hold them, what the purpose of them are, things of that sort. And uh, about a year later in 2020, I got a really good job out here in St. Louis, Missouri for a 700 million under management RAA practice. Very old school investment style, all individually selected stocks and bonds. A very concentrated portfolio of about uh, probably under 20 holdings, 15 to 20 holdings throughout the portfolios. And, you know, it was a traditional value fundamental based investment practice. So that's really where I got my feet wet on the investment analysis side on how to break down a company understand its operations, understand how it turns revenue into free cash flow, and then how to invest in this company. Is it a good company that's tradable or is it just a well-run organization that, you know, it doesn't really offer much capital gains in the short, long term? Uh, From there, uh, my buddy Joe got me on board with his RAA practice. It was a little bit of a step up, about a billion dollars under management. And it was a little bit more diversified as far as the portfolio strategies go, where we ran a very a variety of different model portfolios, some equity based, some ETF and mutual fund based. And this was a little bit more strategic in a sense that instead of just analyzing the companies, it was doing a bit more of the, the portfolio management side. So you know I stuck around on the buy side, didn't really go to the sell side um, you know, early in my career, but it's uh, It's been rewarding right now. I'm doing more independent work. I left Correct Capital about a year ago and been working on my sub stack, the Peach Pit and providing institutional quality research to pretty much anybody that has an interest in understanding how a company works and how to invest in them.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. As well as doing some of your own investing and such right now, right?
0: Exactly. So like-
1: when you're deciding what to write about in your Substack, or actually, let's take a step back. Let's talk about your process for investing. Do you, you talked about working in the, a value space, having only ten to twenty companies within the portfolio? Is that something that you still uh also follow those sorts of guidelines? Do you do you keep around the same amount of companies the portfolio? Or are you looking for value? What kind of time frame are you usually looking for?
0: Very, very much so. Very much so. So I'm a long-term investor. I like the buy and hold strategy. I'm a firm believer in the less work, the less work you have to do to manage your portfolio, the better it should perform. (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) talking to other traders, talking to other investors, one of the biggest risks you have in short-term gains is over-trading and missing out on, on run-ups. So as far as my portfolio management style goes for my personal investments, I still maintain the same strategy. I feel like a lot of, you know, analysts they kind of stick with their first firm's strategy just given that's where they were tapered tailored and really learned how to hone in their skills. So, you know, if you start out at a long short investment firm, you're probably going to have the mindset of a long short investor. If you start out at a growth firm, you're probably going to stick with the growth investing in the long term. I just happened to go to a value investment firm and That's where my sweet spot is. Um, So as far as the process goes, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's not standardized, but it's not very standardized as far as how I discover new companies. You know, it could be a random conversation I have. It could be, you know, I have an interest in a specific industry and I want to see who the players are. It could be, you know, I'm building my calendar for earnings season and I type in the wrong ticker and the company looks interesting. So I investigate them. (laughs) It could be (laughs) any random way to find somebody, but you know, traditionally that's how it's been for me so far and it's worked out pretty, pretty well.
1: That's awesome. So when you're, do you have a specialty sector right now that you mostly write about? I I mean, I've read most of your sub stacks, but kind of the answer to this is a lot of it's been energy so far. But uh, but you're you go well without those realms too, right? You also go into other sectors, not just energy as well. So like, correct? Uh, yeah. So then, when you're building that uh, twenty to, ten to twenty companies within your portfolio, are you keeping in mind? Are you trying to diversify that, or do you, when you go on these kicks, like I really like energy, is it mostly look like energy and reflect that as well? Or are you trying to keep that diversification? Like, are yeah, you more- a lot of, a lot of my
0: portfolio resides in energy, unfortunately, okay. but fortunately, it's more so. Um, so to, to back up a little bit on my investment practice, I start out with a macroeconomic theme. So I, I, I like to work from the top down, to understand what the global economy is doing and how it's working. And from there, that's how I how I figure out a theme. How does How does XYZ company fit in with the global economy or it could be a domestic economy, whatever it is, you know, how, how, how does what they do fit into their part of the universe and going forward, whatever direction the economy is running in, will they be able to thrive within that environment? So looking at a traditional energy company, for example, you know, oil and gas E&P company exploration production. Uh, what is it, 23 now, so three years ago, back during the big electrification hype, you know, when everybody wanted to go to wind, solar, whatever it may be, um, you know, oil and gas companies looked like they were dead in the water, and they've looked like they were dead in the water for the last nearly a decade now, and just during these last two, three years, they've outperformed the market they've been last year 2022 they were the only positive uh industry in the s&p 500 surprisingly so you know it's it it, it, it can be chaotic in that sense but it's very macroeconomic themed uh and right. then i forgot the other part of the question
1: oh so then so uh diversification within your diversification within
0: your, yeah that's right um so diver- diversification, you know, it, it kind of goes back to uh, just stumbling across random ideas. So one example would be, I was looking at, and this is back at Terrell and Company, my first gig out here in St. Louis, I was looking at um, casino companies, you know, Caesars, um, MGM, Resorts International, and I was building my earnings calendar for for the time. I don't remember which quarter it was. It was probably like first quarter 21 or something. And I accidentally stumbled upon MGP, MGM Growth Properties, which turned out to be the uh, property owners for all of MGMs or gradually becoming the property owner for more and more of MGMs uh, properties on Vegas. So they were essentially the largest landholder or one of the largest landholders in the Vegas Strip. Um, and that's how I came up with that investment idea, which turned out to be a total banger. And another year, maybe a year and a half later, they announced uh, a merger with Vici, who is Caesars Palace's um, property owners. And just they're essentially the uh, big wig on, uh, on the Vegas Strip. They're the biggest property owner now. So ideas like that, you know, they, it can be chaotic. It just comes out of the blue from a mistake or something like that, but turn out to be a, uh, a great investment idea. So diversification it's, I don't want to say it's by accident. It's not by choice either. It's more where I see value and whether the company's investable or not.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I love how honest you are about just accidentally typing in a ticker. I, <laughs> I, I've done that. I've done that. Looking for DocuSign, pulling up Doximity. And, uh, not, they weren't even in, even in related sectors, and it still turned out to be a really interesting company. I think everyone's probably done that. If you've been doing this long enough, you've probably stumbled into that.
0: Oh, no, but, absolutely. I remember Zoom and yeah. Zoom Info when Zoom was ipo and
1: People bought
0: a lot of Zoom info at the time, and I think they eventually changed their ticker for that reason.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's a funny (laughs) one. So when, so I kind of want to, I want to touch on what you mentioned earlier of starting out with your macro and then working your way down, which is often what I do, especially when I try to break down on my YouTube videos. Where do you think you built most of your macro knowledge or your fundamentals there? Because obviously you know, was it during your major in school? Because I I feel like I got a good mix of some people who thought their schooling was really interesting or they thought it was pretty useless when it came to actual practical applications to the market or or they came out of that with a very hard set understanding of like, this is the most efficient way to, and, you know, miso-efficient economy, you know, you get diehards for like mm-hmm. Keynesian economics, Austrian economics, modern monetary theory. Research. So like, where, where do you think you kind of sit both in that, uh specialization uh if you do it all or and where do you think you built most of that knowledge?
0: Um I mean honestly I have a so I have a bachelor's degree in bachelor's of science and economics. Yeah. And I'd say I hardly use any of that for my investment process. Um as far as the economics go, you know it mostly winds down to looking at what other companies are doing. So for example, I am looking at the company Trimble right now, which I plan on publishing later this afternoon. Today is the, what is it, July 14th? I plan on publishing later this afternoon on my Substack. They develop software as well as hardware for you know building development, creating workflows for construction, for agriculture, for all sorts of different industries, civil engineering, you name it. And, you know, looking at their clientele, what do they do? You know, you have guys that build these buildings, great. So what's the economy going, how's the economy going to affect their business? Well, the price of steel is going up, the price uh, the, the price required or the minimum price to sell steel by Cleveland Cliffs, um, US Steel, Nucor, they've recently increased their minimum prices for uh, coiled steel. Um, so that's one of the major input costs. Cement's been slowly trending up over the last few years. Uh, copper's pretty elevated. So all these base materials, you know, they're consistently going up and how is that going to affect construction projects? Plus on top of this, we're in a higher interest rate market where the federal funds are sitting at what, just over 5%, which it's potentially going to go higher throughout the rest of the year as the economy starts uh, to slow down. So how is this How's inflation, how are all these different factors going to affect this company's client base and, you know, just trickle down, build that roadmap to better understand um, I guess the macro perspective instead of just looking at these big aggregates like the ISM PMI manufacturing, which I'd say it's helpful, but it doesn't paint the entire picture, you know, looking at the individual firms, what they're doing and building, building that uh thesis around that. I think that's, going to be a much more effective it's more time consuming but it'll be a much more effective way to process and understand how this company is going to perform
1: yeah no i i I like that a lot you Uh, don't learn
0: that in school
1: uh, (laughs) no you definitely i i didn't i didn't major but i just i just remember uh probably a memory of a memory of what macroeconomics and microeconomics were like in college but at the time, I actually thought it was really, really boring. But <laughs> it is. Yeah. It
0: is. I would be lying if I said I didn't sleep in some of my classes. But
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I probably went into the trading realm because that's a lot more exciting, or at least you know, within the investment and stuff. Not so much, not so much trading at the institutional level, which I think a lot of people have this idea that every institution is like a hedge fund, which is not. Mm-hmm. Not the case, you know, because you got to worry about the capital gains and such like that. Uh, did you ever want to go into a hedge fund or anything like that? Was that anything that ever interests you or are more of a, uh, uh, a short term trading style? Or I guess what I'm what I'm getting at with the trading style is do you only ever go long or are you ever short sometimes? Uh, you said you're mostly in value investing, but have you ever dabbled mm-hmm. in going short on something? Have you researched something and been like, this is so terrible, I actually just want to short it? Yeah. No.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. um, you know, to answer both questions, I do both long-term and short-term trading on my portfolio. If I see something that, so just to preface, I'm not a technical trader. I'm not a technician. That's something that I've kind of dabbled in, but I, I'm more of a fundamentals guy. I'm going to look at their multiples and try to figure out the direction of the, the company's stock based on company performance. So just to preface, but I do, a little bit of technical trading to build a trading strategy to see if there's any long-term short-term squeezes that we can take advantage of. Um, To answer your second question, as far as taking short positions, I do um, occasionally take short positions. It's less often, but I do occasionally take short positions if I have a very high conviction that the company will perform poorly. And I do have a few short uh articles covering short positions on my Substack to uh, to read. One of them, oh my God, it got such it got bashed hard on uh on Seeking Alpha. Like they were hardcore believers of the this firm. It was uh what was it? It was Smart Sands. They mine sand up in like the Marcellus region or the Appalachia region to sell the sand to frackers primarily in the Marcellus all the way down to the Permian Basin. And one of my biggest points as far as the short sell goes is as there's more drilling in the Permian Basin as oil prices kind of sit in that sweet spot and more producers are producing, which, I mean, that sounds kind of silly, but um, as more as production for oil increases, associated gas is also going to increase. So when you, when you drill for oil, In the Permian especially, it's about 60-40 oil to gas. If you drill in the Appalachian region, it's going to be closer to 90, what was it, like 95 or something like that, natural gas. It's a very much gassier or gaseous uh, uh, region. So my thesis was, as there's more drilling in basins like the Permian, there's going to be less demand for um, dry gas. And this has turned out to be more or less true. Natural gas prices earlier in the year, they shot down to two and a quarter, give or take. And they've since recovered to somewhere like 260 or so, but still relatively low. For the Marcellus, you know, break-evens are anywhere between two and a quarter up to 275, give or take a quarter. So Mm. my thesis was there's going to be less drilling and completion up there, more in the Permian. And smart sands, they sell to both regions to try to take advantage of the higher drilling and production. Uh, the problem is is that smart sands covers logistic costs. So training all that sand down to the Permian Basin is very, very expensive. And they had a got it I think it, it was like uh 2019, 2018, maybe 2020, they acquired some land in the Permian Basin, which they ended up um, shutting down in an attempt to mine sand down there uh, to be closer to the to the basin. So, you know, there, there's just a lot of factors that are going against them as far as margin compression, um, low, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't remember, it's some accounting term, but ju- just lower margins and mm. essentially harder earnings for them. Plus, they have a ton of... Um, debt covenants on the revolver that makes it more challenging for them to sell assets and accumulate cash during these harder, harder periods. So their cash, their cash pool um, slowly trickled down in the last year or so, and their earnings slowly or quickly trickle down. And now they're attempting to recover and salvage the firm, offload the revolver, so they can potentially either sell the firm or sell assets to keep the firm afloat.
1: So, so what did that? How did that? How did all that correlate within the stock price since you've since you've rolled out that report? Has that gone in your? Oh yeah. Okay. So
0: I, so I rolled out the report the day before. I think what was that Q1 earnings of this year. Mm -hmm. And the stock immediately shot up like 60 something, 60 or 70%. Like, I thought I was a total fucking idiot once I shot that out. (laughs) It's like, God, am I that bad? (laughs) (laughs) And that's when I decided, all right, I'm going to buy some puts on this bad boy. It's, uh, I think it shot up to about like 240, 250, give or take. So I uh, bought some 250 puts. Uh, for two months out
1: when you when you bought those puts did you like go through the earnings and see like nothing here has fundamentally changed from my thesis uh like because obviously there's something that made people buy it were you just unconvinced by what caused that to rally up and then buy those puts oh no absolutely yeah yeah, i looked
0: at the oh yeah the word i was looking for contribution margin i looked at the contribution margin to see if any of their uh economics have changed i looked at Um, their earnings, which it was better than expected, but still pretty poor, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I looked at at the fundamentals, looked at their press release, listened to their call, all that stuff before making my decision. Because, I mean, I could have been dead wrong, for all I know. I'm not embarrassed to say I could have been dead wrong on my initial thesis. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I got the confirmation that I needed. I saw that there was a huge run-up, and I took advantage of it, which you know, going back to today or maybe not so much today, but, uh, about a month or two later, the stock was about 15% below my, uh, initial release point. Mm, and, nice. you know, it felt kind of good to see that, um, you know, it turned out to be right. Yeah. It's, you know, trended up with the, with the broader market since then, but, you know, it's still below the S and P by, I want to say like 10 11 percent so it's been it's been trailing pretty heavily
1: yeah that is nice it always you when you're when the market confirms your convictions it's a great feeling but it's like at the same time the humility to to be okay with admitting you're wrong and accepting when you're wrong and digging to also find out it's the only way you're going to get longevity at any of this stuff whether you're trading or Absolutely. investing too and the people who get mad when you put out a report and they don't like it, even though it's clear, you've put tons of research into time and you might know what you're talking about. will still freak out. I, that I can, I, I feel the sentiment on how you probably feel when that happens, because half of me is like, just wants to ignore it, and the other half is almost like wants to antagonize them even more.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, it's hard to not antagonize them. Yeah. That's that's uh, <laughs>
1: that's
0: the professionalism that we learn: be quiet yeah. about your trades and make your own waves. Yeah, but man. Yeah, it it was tough not to go back to them and say, <laughs> so, yeah. "So, how you guys? Uh,
1: how you, how you guys
0: doing on your long positions?"
1: Yeah, yeah, especially. You know that one's probably not as egregious as the as the meme stocks when they went through their rally and the COVID hype and uh, yeah everything going nuts. It's it's uh I mean did you do you have any reflections on the meme stocks when these all these short squeezes that are occurring right now? Did you participate in any of that or as a long term investor did you just kind of shake your head?
0: I watched it happen, but I did not participate. I feel like yeah. my uh, portfolio mantra at the time would have been so disappointed if I bought in. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm glad I sat it out and got to watch and experience it from uh, secondhand because yeah. the discussion at the time was, this reminds him of, uh, you know, the com bubble where, you know, it's the same thing, just different tech. You have these chat rooms that people are communicating on. They're all buying the same assets and blowing them up and then quickly short thereafter, you know, someone's a bag holder, someone's selling and you just hope you don't get the short end of the stick there.
1: Yeah. Which is just, I guess, I guess the, well, I mean, we've both been on wall street bets. It's kind of Mm -hmm. weird to, to, to go on that, to go Wade and the degeneracy that, that exists there. Let me ask you this. Interesting new tech.
0: <laughs> Let me ask you this though. Okay. You're on Wall Street bets before or after the GameStop deal.
1: I was it. I remember a completely different subreddit with a completely right. different community with people who were losing or gaining everything in a mm-hmm. matter of a weekend or day. I remember it was probably sub a hundred thousand people on that subreddit. When I found it, it was probably like, I'm not gonna know the year but it was well before um you know any of the meme stock stuff because i remember uh when i was on there a bunch i think was right when it became the trend to trade off trump tweets so oh yeah like, that's probably like 2018 but i had found it several years before then and just kind of um didn't really understand it as much i wasn't as i was just trading like part-time while i work my full-time job not what i do right now so that love evolved that, uh, rapidly yeah
0: i love that um what was it jp morgan made the covfe index <laughs> whenever <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> they they predicted the direction of the econ or the the market whenever trump would tweet
1: oh yeah yeah. yeah. the covfe index <laughs> covfe index wait i did not know about the covfe index <laughs> okay
0: Hopefully, well, I don't want to say hopefully, but you know, if he gets reelected, maybe it'll come back. So all those we'll memes,
1: all those memes <laughs> will come back. This market will go right back to a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. That'll be wild if that happens again. It I don't know be how a wild feel. ride. 2018 was a great time for money though, because if you understood that trend, it was you could definitely trade that nonstop. I think it was like eight months we got that very solid, consistent, same trend. Look for the China tweet. <laughs> like, just play the movement as it comes in wait for the next tweet. yeah i mean that was yeah i mean you, all you have to do is point at that year when people say you can't trade off headlines because sometimes sometimes you can yeah, yeah sometimes you can sometimes you can you know it it does work you know so I, you have to be flexible in that way speaking of being but i guess uh for how what what do you feel like your flexibility is right now? you're a long- term investor. I actually can you define what your short term is to you and what long term is to you? Actually yeah, was-
0: absolutely. Yeah. So short term, you know that can be anywhere from a couple months to a year. long term, you know, I'm looking at mega trends like an energy and metals and mining, which okay. can be five to ten years. so it yeah. you know it all depends and it it's dependent on the asset as well. You know, for a mining stock, for an energy stock, I'm looking at the long longevity of the company and their cash flows for, you know, more of a tech stock. There's probably going to be a shorter investment horizon just given the phase out and
1: incumbents. So, okay. Interesting. Uh, so I actually want to pivot now because I want to, I want to know what you think about crypto then do you look at crypto with uh do you own any crypto
0: <laughs> well, there? roll my eyes dramatically did, yeah. did you see it <laughs> all right <laughs> <laughs> so i have uh two stories to tell about crypto the first is when we first saw the major run-up what was that 2018 or so okay, yeah so i so um to kind of back up i was doing a lot of equity trading between 2015 to about 2018, took a short break to do crypto at the end of the year. And I think it was 2018, it might have been 2017 to 2018. I can't remember. It was the first time that Bitcoin was really making headlines, making their waves and was in the public eye. You know, I don't know about you, but I remember going onto like 4chan, it was the thing, it was trading at like a buck or two. And one of my best friends in high school is like, Hey, you should buy this. And I said, hell no, it's just phony baloney garbage crap that people used to buy drugs with. And fast forward, if I would have bought it, I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be on an Island doing my own thing. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So, you know, sometimes you got to listen to your idiot high school friends for investment advice. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that is not investment advice, by the way.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> so, uh, you know, I traded heavily, and you know, we were talking earlier at the gym about Ripple, how that's kind of having its comeback, and now it's having its pullback because the what is it, FTC or SEC announced that it's an asset if you're an institutional investor, it's not if you're a uh, retail guy. So, you know, who yeah. the hell knows what it is anymore it's He's a fair. non-binary thing
1: yeah. you would think but it would, um uh-huh uh you would think it mattered less for the institution uh, that whole thing confuses me because if you're accredited in an institutional investor shouldn't that be the safe zone not with the general public i i, I thought all of that i would like to hear more come from all of that but anyways continue sorry to interrupt but
0: yeah. I'm, I'm just curious as well. I think it's more for tax purposes. If it's not um, considered a security, I don't, well, I don't know. I, I, I'd i have to ask a tax accountant about it, but I think if it's not a security, don't get charged capital gains tax for, you know, let's say you're at a store at a gas station, you're buying a monster energy drink and you use your ripple to buy it. You know, I don't think you have to pay cap gains tax. If you were to, you know, transact that. Oh. I, don't, I can't call it a security that coin or whatever. Um, Token. So it could be that. It could be that. But who knows? Um, but That's story. Yeah. Yeah. Part two of the story. Okay. Um, when I was working more on the institutional side, we had a client call in that wanted to put 30% of his wealth into Ethereum. And I wasn't part of the conversation. The principal advisor was pulling the strings. He talked him into reducing that to a 3% holding, you know, minimize the risk, keep it low just in case something were to happen. And I ended up going in, buying the grayscale um, ETF tracker for it. And the next day it drops 30%. So those are my two memorable experiences with cryptocurrency. I do not have it in my portfolio. I probably never will have it in my portfolio. I think if you're an active trader, follow it, know what you're doing, great. Go make some money on it or lose some money on it, whatever your preference is. But for <laughs> me, it just doesn't fit my style. I'm not active enough in trading to follow it. And it has too wide of swings, too much volatility for me to, Really, be concerned about it. I like I said earlier in the conversation. I want to spend the least amount of time monitoring my investments that I have to to be successful. And if I have to monitor them day to day, hour to hour, that's not part of my tactic.
1: Yeah. So wait, you don't even hold like Bitcoin or anything?
0: I do not. No oh, Bitcoin. Wow. No Ethereum. No Ripple. None of that stuff.
1: Okay. Have you done any deep dives the way that, you know, in the in institutional level research in something like Ripple then? I'm assuming you haven't then.
0: Uh, I have back when I first did my go about with uh, cryptocurrency. What was that back in 17? Yeah, I researched what it was, how it worked, what it was meant for like Ripple. The idea behind it was interbank transactions. You're able to transfer x amount of dollars to another country maybe it's the same bank to another whatever it may be in a matter of seconds instead of you know what is it like t plus one or whatever yeah so you know it, it has a purpose for stuff like that but on a trading basis as far as you and me goes i just didn't see the purpose of it i think a lot of it is more hype than what it's given credit for like Ethereum, you know, you can have smart contracts, but do people actually use smart contracts? Yeah, Not really. And, you know, looking at the banking side, you know, you can do transactions with these cryptocurrencies. Great. But is the software that these transactions are written capable of utilizing these cryptocurrencies instead of cash? not really
1: yeah no it's gonna take a if it does take off it'll take years and years and years and the the hype run-up of the lawsuit win seems like it'll quickly die down
0: yeah Yeah. i think so i mean
1: most of that was just traders i feel like yeah i don't it's it's mostly traders yeah i don't do a lot of uh, speculation, but i do hold some bitcoin i'm actually surprised to hear that you don't hold any bitcoin at all
0: yeah, I've it's thought true. of it, and it just yeah. comes down to: Do I? You can you can make money, you can lose money on any asset. So, yeah, you know, why choose something that I'm not going to follow that heavily?
1: Yeah, okay, that's true. Well, I mean, yeah. I look at Bitcoin like gold, where you kind of learn what it is, and then that's about it. But it's not going to really change. So, <laughs> yeah,
0: it's kinda... all supply and demand. Yeah. Except for gold, you have. I mean, you still have a finite supply of gold. You just have to get it out of the ground and put it to work. Though gold, you know, it's different from Bitcoin in the sense that it's not just a store of value. You know, you have your industrial applications and a variety of other applications that can be used with gold. You know, you can make jewelry with it. You can make um, what like semiconductors with it. You can do a lot of different things with gold.
1: Yeah. I feel like, They've decreased over time. But I also agree with that. I think there's in the future probably going to be some sort of applications that incorporate the tech that's behind Bitcoin. You know, being proof of work, I think helps to differentiate it for enough from the other cryptos. But I don't know. I don't want to know if, if we really want to go down that route if you've done a lot of like research in the different proofs of works that exist within the cryptocurrencies. But um, yeah, no doubt. It, yeah, it's yeah. a little
0: out of my realm right now. It's been, you know, half a decade since I've considered it at this point but you know if if we get to the point where it's starting to actually be utilized in the corporate environment i'd probably you know start paying attention again
1: yeah yeah and i mean that's what drives a lot of it right is hence that like oh google is interested in solana or something and it's It's like, I look at how much they've invested and I'm like, they've pretty much invested this amount in literally everything, you know? Like -hmm. like Microsoft, for instance. They're throwing around money everywhere. It doesn't mean that they have actual convictions. It's just like, this company has so much cash that they're just looking for any reason to spend it on anything. (laughs) Exactly. They don't know what Their VC arms
0: are huge, man. Their cash piles are ridiculous. They can overpower our economy with their cash piles. It's insane.
1: So... I think it's I think we we've covered a lot of good topics I kind of want to talk about um how you're feeling about the market right now like where it's in the state of the, maybe even the state of economy where it's where it's at like what what st- stands out to you right now
0: yeah so you know I'm pretty divided on the state of the economy right now you know just uh lay some groundwork the Fed has heavily increased their base rates over the last couple of years to from zero interest rate policy to 5% with two more increases expected by the market throughout the rest of the year before waning down and potentially pulling back while the economy kind of settles and, you know, just turns out, um, a couple of the factors that i like to look at, not just, uh, you know, blades and inflation, but also, you know, the PMI, the, uh, And the reason why I look at this metric is it looks at the future um, purchasing for, you know, these industrial companies, you know, what's, what projects, how, how much work are they expecting to have throughout the next six months to a year? So on the manufacturing side, it was sitting, what was it? Something like 46 and change this last reading, um, so, you know, 50 is going to be the baseline. 50's neutral, nothing's growing, nothing's shrinking. 50's that good neutral space. Above 50, you're looking at growth. Below 50, you're looking at shrinkage. And it's been sitting at 46. It's been trending down to 46 for the last what is it, half a year or so. So, yeah. it's been, you know, it's been slowing down, waning down on the manufacturing side. The services, you know, it's been above 50. And it looks like it's just fine and dandy. Um, so the direction that the economy goes based on those factors, it's hard to say. But you know, looking at the manufacturing side, it looks like it's going to be slowing down throughout the next year or so. And you know, given that a lot of my a lot of my uh, investment ideas primarily focus on that ener- energy transmission space. A lot of uh, projects, a lot of developments on, um, you know, it might be a refinery. It might be a, I don't know, whatever it may be. But it seems like a lot of these projects, they're pretty slow and steady. They're continuing to go at pace, but, you know, slowly winding down. So a lot of these companies are kind of in that wait and see mode, what's going to happen and how's the economy going to turn out in the next year or so. Another factor I look at pertaining to the federal funds rate is debt. Um, And this kind of coincides with one of the companies that I recently researched, uh, Suburban Propane, who, you know, in their name, they distribute, they buy and sell, distribute propane. And one of the challenges I saw with them, and this was actually a short piece I wrote and published uh, probably about a month ago now was that they have half a billion dollars in debt coming due in 2024, which about a quarter of such can be covered by operations. They have a slim cash pool. And if they're refinance, it's going to be in a higher interest rate market, which will further suppress their margins. So things like that is what I look for as far as the strength of the economy. You know not necessarily the inflation rate, but how are these figures going to affect the individual companies that rely on them? You know, how is a higher interest rate market going to affect a company and their ability to raise capital or just be able to, you know, function?
1: So if we, that's really interesting. Um, I like the the look at the individual company basis, but if we take a step back and look at it like a more uh, like at the national level when you know we see the you know fed is approaching or the u.s is approaching like a trillion dollar payments on their interest like Mm -hmm. does that bring any concerns to your mind or are you one of the people who's just like well we're the we're the you know base currency for everyone we're the dominant currency we'll just print more money you know it'll be an issue someday but who knows when so whatever you know because i feel like that's like, that's generally the more common like opinion to have on that right now. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, most of the Fed's balance sheet, is their own treasuries as well as some corporates and mortgage-backed securities. But, you know, honestly, at the end of the day, it, that's what it comes down to, print more money. And we're not the only country. We're not the only economy that's doing said uh, task, you know. That's happening a lot in the EU block, That's happening a lot in Latin America. It's happening everywhere. As long as the relative currency value stays stable, you know, it's, I really, I highly doubt that there's going to be any transition off of the U.S. dollar. And, you know, I'd like to highlight that the stability of the U.S. dollar gives it the strength and the power that it holds.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure, and I think that's why crypto won't uh, be able to replace it anytime soon, you know, uh, as well. So, especially when most of the cryptos aren't are centralized, and that's what people are trying to escape. Mm, um,
0: the irony behind that is, you know, once institutions pulled in, once Coinbase went public, it all wiped away that little bit of zazz that crypto had. Yeah. You now, once once Coinbase went public it became time to regulate them.
1: Yep. Yeah. And attack it full-fledged, which I think is interesting Mm -hmm. that they see it as such a threat with the, with the, with the dollar being, having such dominance. Um, but okay, so let's, let's go, let's, let's take a step back then. So you don't see much of a, of a issue with, um, at the national level, but you're interested with the companies at an individual level, but you kind of feel like overall the economy is, um, Oh, or for manufacturing companies who are more based who are ste- who not in the service sector, you feel like we're at a standstill of kind of like a wait and see. So you're, what do you think the likelihood is that we are going to see a recession coming up then? Or do you think that you'll see, you know maybe with the Build Back Better payments still coming out, still doing more construction and stuff, or but that's probably not going to mm-hmm. have as big of an effect, but uh, also the chip bills and such, do you think those will... Uh, the money printing that occurs through those will bring those up, power us through again, and we'll just postpone the recession further. Do you think it's a highlight of oh, yeah. that? Yeah.
0: No, of course, and I I think um these two policies, as well as the IRA, will potentially keep the economy afloat and potentially either push back the recession or soften the landing, in that respect. Um,
1: the RIA. The
0: uh, yeah, the Inflation Reduction Act. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry. You're good. But yeah, I believe that should help stabilize more or less um, the economy in that respect. Uh, I don't quite fully support the IRA in the sense that a lot of these are guaranteed loans that will essentially be backed by the US citizens upon default, but you know, it is what it is and if it gets a company, it's funny that it needs to develop a battery recycling facility up in the new england area so be it yeah getting very specific without being specific um (laughs) (laughs) but no this is some of this is actually pretty fresh right now um i was doing a little bit of a refresher while reviewing trimble's uh financials and you know building that macroeconomic backdrop to where there's 18 foundries being built across the u.s right now that you know, they were sort of in development pre-CHIPS Act, but should be benefited from the CHIPS Act. You know, a lot of the manufacturing parts and chemicals that go into developing semiconductors and manufacturing equipment will be covered by the CHIPS Act as well. So it seems like it's not as rigid of an act as a lot of people expected, but, you know, cons- consistently changing and becoming more flexible on who can get these grants and funding for, you know, their products. Um, And then going back to, you know, build back better, there's God, what was it? 200 something billion dollars to be allocated to building roads, bridges, things of that sort. So, you know, a lot of the public private funding for this or public private public projects with public funding should benefit the economy to a certain extent yeah but um to answer your question just looking at the last uh, if you if if you would have asked me that question about a year or two ago i would have said we're nosediving into recession but given these more recent developments i'd say we're still probably potentially going to run to recession how deep it is you know i can't really tell you but you know, as we're seeing more defaults pop up more frequently, you know, it could be bad. It could get worse. It may just wane off to where the Fed is proactive with adjusting their rates before it's too late. It, it, a number of things can happen. A number of things can break that none of us are aware of. So it, it, yeah. it, it all just depends. But I, I do believe we are going into recession by uh twenty twenty
1: four. And if we don't, I think it, it I think the most common narrative is that if maybe I shouldn't say common, but one that I blot by into is that if we don't, then we'll probably be having another inflation conversation coming into twenty twenty four about it being more persistent. But there is no oh, absolutely yeah. Especially and this is also
0: this. fresh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah, this is also um Part of my paper that, uh, depending on the time we finish up here, um, to publish But you know, a lot of the discussion on inflation isn't necessarily on the monetary side, but on the commodity side to where, you know, we had this big, big standstill halt back in 2020. And then this huge pull forward in 2021 to where, you know, a lot of the base metals kind of just stopped and then started. And demand just outpaced the supply and, you know, looking at new mining developments, it's going to continue because, you know, a mine, you can't just spin it up like an oil well that takes about a year to research, develop and drill, you know? Yeah. It's a 10 year project to get all your permits, do your analysis, your core research, do all this stuff before, you know, you actually break ground to develop the mine. In which case, you know, it takes even longer. So, you know, it, it could get much worse on the inflation aspect to it. And, you know, just reviewing the BCOM, the Bloomberg um, Aggregate Commodities Index, you know, it's pulled back significantly in the last year since 2021, but also we're at a higher level than we were pre COVID-19. So, you know, inflation may have pulled back, but we're still running at higher levels than we were pre 2020, and a lot of that set can be said. Looking at the nominal aspect too, um, CPI, consumer price index, as well as PPI, producer price index, to where you know the rates are are drastically changing in a downward motion, still increasing on the CPI. PPI took kind of a nosedive and is having kind of a uh, disinflationary or deflationary effect. But on a nominal basis, if you look at the nominal growth, they're still going up. So shit's more expensive still. It's not like it's going to get cheaper tomorrow. It's still getting more expensive and this is probably going to continue. So, you know, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people compare 2019 rates to today as opposed to looking at 2020 kind of like as a gap year, it didn't it happen? And we're still at relatively higher, higher um prices than we were in 2019 using as a base year. So that that's kind of my that's kind of my baseline for why I'm a little bit nervous about the economy.
1: Yeah. So and uh, so when it comes to so because you're not a technical guy, you're probably doing very little uh uh evaluation of like what the current levels of the market are at are the s and p is it overbought is it oversold you probably just look at the fundamentals and say well it's clearly overbought it's probably what you're thinking right for uh, the indexes or or yeah
0: just- I, I mean other than looking at the uh other than just for comparison purposes I really don't follow the indexes that much
1: okay yeah that makes sense. Yeah,
0: how does my stock perform compared to the relative index?
1: Just as a benchmark of just to keep track. Yeah,
0: exactly. Just for benchmarking purposes. Okay. Otherwise, I couldn't care less what the what the S and P is running at. I, I can't quote you the rate right now, or or the price or whatever. So, it, I, yeah.
1: Uh, if I okay, I have a question. first so for someone who's so knowledgeable, you got experience. someone comes up to you one of your high school buddies and they're like i made a bunch of money off that dumb crypto coin i told you about and they're like i just want to buy and hold the index like Mm -hmm. yeah would you and and just average into that over the next 10 years would you would you tell them that's a good idea would you be absolutely yeah
0: for someone that's not um i call them normal people." that aren't (laughs) normies, (laughs) neurotic finance guys, you know, I call them normal people, but you know, for a normal guy that isn't, you know, financially literate in that sense, I always recommend just buy the index or trust an advisor to invest your money. Mm. Um, I don't want to get into my disdain for most advisors, but you know, have somebody that at least has some base knowledge to reference before you go into invest so for example you know fidelity or schwab those are two big um asset managers for your 401k or ira or whatever i'd say i i I think they do do they do free advice or at least like kind of like a free evaluation for how you should invest your money i can't remember if they did that or not
1: i i wouldn't know i wouldn't know honestly Yeah, Yeah, but my suggestion,
0: yeah, but my suggestion, you know, if you're trying to do it on your own, go with one of those two brokerages. I think they'll at least give you a baseline evaluation, not like full management for free, but at least a baseline explanation. And, you know, dollar cost average it over time and just stick to that program. Don't sell out of panic, just keep buying and investing over time. No. Yeah. Personally, yeah, personally, if a lot of people are wasting their money with advisors, you know, charging that 1% fee to do the bare minimum, to essentially put your money into, I don't want to bash American funds by any stretch. They're just really big and essentially move with the market. So, you know, would you rather pay that 1% plus the couple basis points to American funds, or would you rather just do it on your own by the index pay your couple basis points and call it a day. It's going to have the same effect. I guarantee that. And a lot less headaches and a lot cheaper.
1: A whole lot cheaper. People don't a whole lot cheaper. People do not consider how much they're really paying these companies when that's like, you know, Mm -hmm. 1% of your, you know, account balance or, you know, it adds up. Uh, yeah. It adds up a lot, especially since you have to think about the opportunity loss of not having that money occurring, you know, compounding over itself as well over that time period. Mm-hmm. And they do so little. I, I well, yeah, I will have to, we'll probably talk about more of your disdain uh, in the, <laughs> in the future, but I think, I think that's the most common thing with everyone I talk to is, who gets into this for themselves is the disdain that, That they do have for whether there's a bad financial advisor or whether they just did the math and they're like, wait, (laughs) this is egregious. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm not
0: saying all advisors are bad. Don't get me wrong. Not all advisors are bad. I'm just saying the advisors are just going to put you into an index fund or leverage ETFs and mutual funds are probably just diminishing your gains and returns through fees.
1: Yeah. yeah and the ones who get speculative half the time they blow up or they suck
0: Mm -hmm. yeah you don't see a lot of growth funds that last forever value funds sure they can trickle on through the end of time but growth funds they come and go
1: yeah so wait you think kathy woods is already Mm -hmm. what about kathy woods you follow kathy woods at all she's probably (laughs) she's probably the big dog
0: (laughs) god i haven't looked at her since you know the last Rae, right, yeah, I was at, so I can't, I can't quote you on Kathy Woods. I just remember her convictions were so phony baloney, and oh my god, her God, what was her price target for Zoom, like a thousand something, or
1: oh yeah, it was crazy. God,
0: how can you justify that? Like that's that's such a disservice to people but, that watch CNBC.
1: But Maki, she got Tesla right, therefore she's a bona fide oh, yeah. genius that'll get everything right
0: can't yeah. forget amazon too she got amazon right she has tesla oh, yeah. right that's two good ones that yeah. you know made her the money got her oh. reputation as long as you pick, can pick two one or two stocks in your lifetime you're an expert
1: you're an expert yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you sound like uh, what's his name the big gold guy uh, what's his name uh, the big the guy who's always in the gold who's talking about gold all the time who predicted the crash the oa crash what's his name Oh, oh, man,
0: I can't tell you right now.
1: Oh, no, it's going to drive me nuts if I can't think of it.
0: It's not Mike Burry, right?
1: No, it's not he's Mike the Burry.
0: MBS swaps guy.
1: Yeah, that's the guy who keeps deleting all his tweets, right? He'll post something very quickly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. He's Cassandra.
1: Yes. Yeah, and then nothing happens and then people make fun of him, but he manages to still stay in the conversation. I feel like he's the Kanye of finance almost, basically. But, yeah, but who I was trying to think of was the – uh. he's always pitching gold, buy gold, nothing else. Peter Schiff, Peter Schiff.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: well, he got it right once. Therefore, he's a genius. He's the master
0: <laughs> of the universe.
1: Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> I think this was a, a great uh conversation, Mati. Appreciate you coming on, um, and hopefully people will enjoy this because they're going to be on more podcasts coming up. So – um, I Absolutely. can't
0: wait yeah
1: well uh we'll have I'm looking
0: look. forward to working with you on them
1: yeah this will be this will be a ton of fun um not everyone knows who you are they'll have some context for your background the wealth of knowledge you have and um I'll be looking forward to I'll see you soon in the gym as well man thanks for coming on
0: sounds good like to see you next Wednesday, brother
1: yeah right <laughs>
0: <laughs> You Sweet. have a good weekend
1: yeah you too man